Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Before we dive into today's episode, let's chat quickly about today's podcast sponsor, one of our favorite brands around here in Freckled Foodie family land, Simple Mills. You guys know it. I mean, they create the best products. You've probably tried them by now. No brand compares. I love everything they do, but I want to highlight their almond flour bars today. They are so freaking soft and delicious and chewy and everything that is perfect in the world. Personally, I mean, how could I not say that my favorite is the chunky peanut butter? But I would say, honestly, this very, very close second is spiced carrot cake because I love everything carrot cake. They are an awesome breakfast option on the go. I love them as a snack. It's like my perfect 3 p.m. pick me up right before I get into my afternoon of work, pre-dinner, but post-lunch and we're still feeling kind of hungry, it's perfect. Make sure you grab some of their almond flour soft-baked bars. You can now get them at Walmart. Go enjoy, my friends. I promise, I promise they will not disappoint. Hello, my people. I am so freaking excited to share today's episode. I have talked about her before on my Instagram. You guys know I struggle with my period, whether it was not having it for a year or having the worst cramps in the entire world. Today, we are joined with the hormone guru, Elisa Vitti. She has been so helpful as me, I've been a consumer of her work for like a few years now. She's so freaking brilliantly smart. And she has this way of giving us information that is science backed and factual, but very digestible where I don't feel completely overwhelmed like I do when I leave a doctor's office sometimes. So I really think you guys are going to love today's episode. She is freaking awesome. I found her after I read her book, Woman Code and I went to a talk. Rachel, if you're listening, it was with you. Um, I just, I love everything she has to say. And before we dive in really quickly, you guys, if you are interested after you listen to today's episode and you want to join her cycle syncing membership, Flow 28, which includes recipes, shopping lists, meal plans, workout videos, a monthly planner, master chats, like so much freaking stuff. You can use the code freckled foodie and that'll give you a free month of the membership. All of that will be in the show notes. I just want to make sure you guys are aware. I hope you love today's episode as much as I do. Let's just hand it over because she just needs to inform us all of how we should be living. Guys, I'm so excited for today's episode. It is one that I've teased you about on my stories. It's one that I have been so excited to have and one that I think will really resonate with you all. We are joined with Elisa Vitti, who is the author of Woman Code and In the Flow and founder of Flow Living. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so pumped for this conversation. Oh, thanks, Cameron. I'm so happy to be here on your super adorably named show, which I got the whole backstory before we started recording. I love. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk all things periods, hormones, cycles, all of the wonderful female stuff that finally is getting the actual light and kind of like pedestal that it deserves. I remember a time where people were like so afraid to pull a tampon out of their bag and go to the bathroom, like stuff it in their sweatshirt and scurry off. And I feel we're finally past that time. So I'm really excited to talk with you. Oh, that's, I'm glad to know that that's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just remember like in high school, I feel like that was a thing. It would be like, do you have a tampon? Like, God forbid anyone knows we're on our period. (laughs) 
So Such a silly thing. We'll look back and we'll say, gosh, can you believe we used to feel that way and think that I know. Way? Yeah. So silly. So, so silly. So to kick things off, how would you define success? Success. I think for me, um, it really has to do with keeping true to my sense of direction uh, in the world around me, like, you know, staying true to what feels right in the moment, what's important to me, and really curating choices and, and decisions based on that, and just letting the rest of the world kind of stay where it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, let, just doing my best to create a space in my own life where I can do me. Absolutely. And I also would think, and I don't want to like put this on you, but one of my friends actually responded to that question, like being in flow. And I feel like that has to do a lot with what you A, just answered, but B, what you're doing. Because I do find that there are moments where you're just so in sync and whether that's with your career or your family or your partner or yourself, like your actual cycle where it does feel different. Like it just hits differently when everything is kind of working. And to me, that's when I feel like, holy shit, I I feel like I could run the world. I feel so successful right now. And obviously there's the complete opposite emotion, which I also feel at times. And I do notice that when I am in sync with myself, I'm feeling more positive. I'm feeling more successful. I'm more energized. I'm excited by things. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on and talk more about that and how we can all get to that place. Yeah. I mean, it goes without saying that the foundation of how I do me is predicated on that cyclical reality. But Mm -hmm. yes, (laughs) you know, I do think that um, the, the practice of going out of your way to architect a state of flow and the way I define flow for women is in alignment with your infradian rhythm is the critical foundation that we're all missing. I think as women to, to feel better in our bodies and to um, feel better about the things that we're going after in our lives to have that work all synergistically and all much more easily. So yeah, it's a little uh, after practicing this now for such a long time, it's something that I, you know, just do as a default, but it's exciting to be able to bring it to so many new women now. Definitely. Absolutely. And I want to touch on all of that. I want to give a little context. I know I just said this to you before we started recording, but for anyone listening, my journey with my, I guess, menstrual cycle, you can call it, has been an interesting one, one that I've shared on Freckled Foodie. But, you know, the reason I'm so interested in this and having you on is because it's something I've struggled with. And by talking about it with my community, I know that others are struggling with it as well. So for me, I got my period at a young age. It was right before freshman year of high school. I was definitely the last one of all of my friends. And I only really had it for like two years, maybe regularly without hormonal birth control. And I went on birth control, the pill, when I was 15. I had bad cramps. That was the excuse I used, but I was having sex at a young age. And I was on the pill from 15 until I was about 22. I then got the Mirena IUD from 22 to 27. And during that time, I wasn't bleeding whatsoever, which I I mean, I think my doctor said was normal. I don't really know if it was. Um, and I mean, then- That's the point of the, that's the point right, of the medication okay. <laughs> is so that you stop ovulating and that you basically have no cycle. I mean, the whole premise of that 
quote unquote bleed that you have while you're using synthetic birth control is just there to give the woman a false sense of comfort that she's still having a cycle. But while Mm -hmm. you're on that medication, it shuts off ovulation. And so you technically will only have a breakthrough bleed if you have those placebo pills. But if you're on something like Mirena, um, you may not have any bleeding whatsoever, which is normal for that medication, but it is definitely not in your best interest. Right. So I did not bleed for five years. And then my husband and I got married and I was in a place where I had gone through a ton of health struggles. I really just missed the female aspect and the reminder that my body I want to interject too, Cameron, because those health struggles you were telling me about all gut related are a direct result from your exposure to that medication because there's a study that actually shows that being on synthetic birth control can trigger Crohn's-like disorders in the gut. Um, where you may have had no gut issues before, it disrupts the microbiota to such an extent that um, you can end up with some severe gut issues, which of course then destabilize the rest of your health as the microbiome is now becoming something so part of the future of medicine in the conventional sense. Um, it has some pretty far-reaching implications. So I'm not surprised to hear that you went through that. Right. And I I kind of joke sometimes that I'm part of this like birth control generation that we all were just put on the pill because it was like, oh, you've got bad cramps, get on the pill. Oh, you- I love that you said that, Cameron, because actually (laughs) it has not ever been studied if it is safe to put So that's what scares me. At at 13, 14, 15. Because, you know, what's happening from puberty to 22 Right. So puberty starts mm-hmm. at nine or 10, even though you don't have any physical changes, it ha- starts happening in the brain, the pituitary gland gets a little more activated. Right. But the whole journey, the brain ovary journey, which is what pubescence is about, starts from nine and finishes at 22. When you stop that process in puberty, which is the special time that is supposed to happen to establish the brain, the pituitary hypothalamic ovarian connection and conversation and rhythm, when you interrupt that and shut it down with Medicaid birth control in the teenage years, it's never been studied and nor have the long-term effects on your health and, rep- and reproduction and you know, bone, brain, and, health, and heart health. And yeah, you it's I loved how you phrase that you're part of the birth control generation. It's been a it's been a really uh, informal, massive study. And I don't know if anybody's collecting any data. Yeah. And that's honestly what scared me because not only was I struggling with all of these health issues, but every woman around my age that I talked to was also struggling with digestive health issues. And I'm like, okay, we're all also on birth control. So I basically really just wanted to see would things change if I went off of it. Also, I just missed the act of actually bleeding and knowing that my body was working. We were also married and, you know, the whole point of being on these most of the time is to not get pregnant. And I was finally in a place where I felt if we got pregnant, it wouldn't be, you know, obviously we aren't trying, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. So let's just take it out and see what happens. And to my doctor's surprise, but not to my surprise, it took my body a year to actually get a period. And I think that's really fortunate that it, it came back in such a quick fashion because you I had agree. completely shut off that whole pubescent process. I know. Um, I yeah. was actually, I thought it was going to take, I mean, it was Modern. actually kind of around, yeah, it was kind of what I expected. It was actually wild. The day I got it was the day I was sitting in my gynos getting an ultrasound 
to see if everything was okay because it had been a year. And while I was getting the ultrasound was when I got it back. And I was like, well, that's ironic. (laughs) Um, So since then, that was in August. So now it's been a full year of me having an actual cycle and, you know, bleeding on schedule, what you may call it. I track it, all of that stuff. But I do struggle as my freckled foodie community knows I get horrific cramps, especially the night before um, my first bleed. It is, I mean, I don't sleep basically. And I also have a very intense ovulation phase where, I mean, my I can't roll over in bed because my boobs are so tender that I wake up and, you know, it's great. Sure. I know I'm ovulating, but I don't know if it's supposed to be that intense. And I went and I read your book, Woman Code. I went to hear you speak, I guess now three years ago. Rachel, if you're listening to this, thank you for bringing me there. Um, And I've recently been trying to kind of sync up my workouts with my cycle, which I know is something that you talk about a lot. So I have so many freaking questions for you. But I guess to start for everyone listening now that they know my period story, how can you kind of explain what the cycle looks like and what it entails? Because I know you think of the cycle or not think of, but you treat the cycle in like the four separate stages. Yeah, well, it's, and that's because there are, so you have your, you know, but at the same time, it also speaks to the fact that we don't know that and that we have this kind of confusion. We say, oh, like, for example, I think it's really telling, it speaks volumes that we have like this doubled up vocabulary Like we say, oh, I'm on my period or I'm on my cycle or I'm Mm -hmm. having my menstrual, I'm having my menstrual cycle. Does that mean the whole month? Does that mean the week that you're bleeding? (laughs) You know, so because we lack adequate vocabulary to describe our biological reality, we ourselves are confused. And that has to do with the fact that we've been left out of medical research um, for a long, long time as women, as a cohort, and we don't have enough information. But let me assure you that there are no confusing terminology when it comes to describing male reproductive systems of course. in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> right. Same um, reason that Viagra is like covered and we're all paying for pills isn't and that just, I mean, again, it yeah. just speaks volumes to this like institutionalized gender bias when it comes to medicine. That's just, it's just bad. It's just old news. Like, you know, I think we are seeing so many signs of progress when it comes to other verticals, whether that be in the entertainment vertical with the Me Too movement and, um, you know, in corporate culture. Uh, but I think it's time for the medical community to start to strive for more gender equality in their research and in their treatment of patients. You know, for example, there's a very important research on the fact that like when women walk in and say they're, they complain about pain, they're gaslit, you know, they're basically a psychological term that basically says, no, that's, you're imagining that and sent home. Mm -hmm. But if a man comes in and complains of pain, it's like every test is ordered and it's taken very seriously until something is figured out. And that's that kind. That's what I'm talking about when I say institutionalized gender bias that needs to be improved um, because it's it's our lives and our quality of lives that are 
paying the price for that. And it just, I think it's due for an update, but yes, back to the cycle. <laughs> but um, all here, that is very important. And I totally agree with everything you just said. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I think that um, we should just be talking about this as a community of women. Cause if we don't talk about it, you know, like nobody's going to talk about it. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. Um, so the phases of the cycle, you know, we have four of them within the month. We have the follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, the luteal phase, and the bleeding phase. And I like to be specific so that we're not confused. And in these four phases, you have different like r- levels, different ratios of hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, follicular stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone. And these have a variety of, of st- provide stimulation to both the ovaries the follicles themselves and the uterus in terms of the lining, the endometrial lining. And they work, you know, in a specific sequence and synergistically such that it results in this beautiful, like orchestra orchestral kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, concert, if you will, of mm-hmm. every month you ovulate, you build the lining of the uterus. And if you don't conceive the lining sheds and you recruit more follicles and start the process again. And it's really extraordinary that that's something that your body can do. Um, and that's just at the very basic level, what the four phases of your cycle are all about. Got it. So for those who are listening, this honestly could be very new information because I know it was new information for me when I first read your book. What I always had known, okay, you ovulate and then you bleed and that's kind of it. But obviously we're learning more and more. And I'm curious how within these four cycles, you know, you talk a lot about living in sync with your cycle. Can you kind of explain, and within the app of Flow Living, can you explain how you're supposed to best live within those stages, whether it's what you're eating or how you're exercising? Because I do think that's something that many people don't know about, even if they know that there are four different phases. So I want to back up and and talk about the infradian rhythm first, because that'll give us a better perspective on why we would want to align with these different phases of the cycle. So what I was looking around and, and trying to understand why still so many women were suffering. I mean, to be clear, 50% of women suffer from hormonal issues. And the, you know, when we compare that to the male cohort, it's something like under 10%, right? Mm-hmm. So I just had to ask the question, why is that such an enormous disparity? You know, why is there such a big difference? What is causing it that is not fundamentally about endocrine disruption, which I covered in my first book, Woman Code. And what I started really drilling into was this really uh, undiscussed uh, topic within the vertical of chronobiology, which is the division of biology that looks at biological rhythms. You may have heard about the circadian rhythm, for example, that's part of chronobiology. Anyway, um, the infradian rhythm is the name given to the biological rhythm that governs the, the menstrual cycle. But like we used to think, oh, the circadian rhythm only governs the sleep-wake cycle, subsequent research has let us understand that, um, in fact, it is responsible for the regulation of many systems of the body, like 
when your blood pressure is most active, elevated, when it's least elevated, when your bowels are most active, when they're least active, like you can imagine how important having a timekeeper like that can be. If, for example, you were trying to get eight hours of uninterrupted sleep, but you're, there was no timekeeper for your bowel movements. And like at 3.30 in the morning, you'd just be woken up with like that urge to go. That would not be really productive or efficient. Right. So of course, you know, we have something, nature has given us this gift of this internal biological rhythm to govern these processes. Similarly, with the infradian rhythm, and my new book, In the Flow, is the first book to talk about this um, and it is really looking at how the infrading rhythm is about way more than just regulating your menstrual cycle. It affects six other key systems of your body, your brain, your metabolism, your microbiome, your stress response system, your immune system, and your reproductive system, which includes the, the trifecta of your period, your fertility, and your sex drive, right? So when we when we look at that and understand that we have this biological rhythm that's affecting that kind of we experience it in the course of our m- monthly cycle just like we experience the circadian rhythm in the course of our sleep wake cycle but that it has deep impact on these other systems of the body then it makes sense why so many of us as women are struggling versus men because it turns out that the male hormonal biological rhythm follows the 24-hour circadian rhythm. And since all the research in medical and fitness and nutrition realms are being done on men, everything they're being told from intermittent fasting to high-intensity interval training to power morning routines for success, all of Mm -hmm. that actually is that research been, has been done on their actual biological system and optimizes it, right? So they're not fighting a losing battle. You as a female, on the other hand, with this infradian rhythm that is being completely excluded from all that research, and mm-hmm. then you're told to do things that are not actually including the infradian clock in their prescriptions are using diets and fitness programs and other things, success tools, time management tools that actively are disrupting this essential infradian clock. And when you do that, then you start to disrupt those other six systems of the body, your brain, your microbiome, your metabolism, your stress response system, your immune system, and your reproductive system, your period, your fertility, and your sex drive. And this is the sort of breakthrough um, concept that I want every woman to get, that we've been um, excluded, and then we're also told, like, the opposite of what we should be doing. We've been hoodwinked. (laughs) It's really frustrating because then you're like, well, something must be wrong with me because I'm so dedicated. And why am I not getting the results that I want? It's not you. You're just, you're just, you know, using the wrong um, chessboard, you know, or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... In the new book, and I felt so strongly about it that I decided to write another book, um, and it's called In the Flow. And I didn't want to just paint a picture frame around this, you know, challenge, but I wanted to create a method by which we could really support this infradian rhythm. And again, taking our cues from the research that has been done on the circadian rhythm, um, extensive research has been done on it, in fact. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that if you disrupt the circadian rhythm, you will pay the price with your health short-term and long-term, right? Um, it's, it's, it's 
absolutely something that we need to factor in when we're talking about the infradian rhythm. Women are paying for this in their short-term health in these six key systems of their body. And as I hope more research is done on this and women are included in their infradian rhythm is included, we'll get the confirmation that, of course, it is absolutely something that's going to affect our long-term health as well. So I wanted to create a method that we could support it. And that method is called the cycle thinking method. And that has three fundamental uh, principles uh, of the approach. The first is that you eat specific foods and specific calorie amounts to match the four different metabolic shifts that you have throughout the cycle. Um, The second is that you change the intensity of your workout based on where you are in your cycle. And the third is that you uh, organize your projects uh, according to where you are in that infradian set of timing. And when you do these three things, Cameron, you Mm -hmm. reduce stress in the body, you improve your metabolism, you improve mental focus, you improve productivity, you increase lean muscle gain, you increase stored fat utilization, you decrease stored fat, you reduce stress and anxiety, and your cycle symptoms as well have a chance to start to resolve on their own. A lot of women who just struggle with garden variety PMS can very quickly start to feel like that PMS is a distant memory. And it's such an elegant solution because instead of trying to chase the acne, the bloating, the brain fog, the fatigue, the you know irritability and all these different symptoms, we're going to the deepest possible root structure, which is that infradian rhythm. And we're doing absolutely everything to support it. And then of course, like magic, but it's not, uh, the body starts to respond and do what it is designed to do, which is to thrive. You know, Mm -hmm. I am just really tired of women surviving, you know, and when I say that, I mean, like, you're just, you're tolerating a whole raft of unnecessary symptoms because you've been conditioned since a young age to feel that, you know, women have got the short end of the stick when it comes to health and that you're destined to suffer. And that's just not actually true anywhere. Scientifically speaking, it's quite the opposite. Right. And we're almost told like, oh, cramps are normal. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to feel like shit. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to, you know, media has also made it like, oh, of course, you're supposed to be a bitch when you have your period. Like it's called PMS. And I'm like, well, is it? Are we supposed to feel this way? No, that's just a sign of a hormonal imbalance. The luteal phase is designed actually to help you be calm and focused. Turns out progesterone is like, you know, um, Uh, like it it creates this extremely calming effect and focusing effect in the brain. And it's the longest phase of your cycle. It's 10 to 14 days. Nature wants you to be relaxed, to get good sleep, which progesterone helps you do to feel calm and focused on doing whatever it is you want to achieve. And that's the vast majority of your month is progesterone based. So if you have not enough progesterone, of course, and too much estrogen, you're going to have the stereotypical, you know, PMS experience of Mm -hmm. all the symptoms, breast tenderness, bloating, irritability, breakouts, fatigue, insomnia, 
all of that. But that's unnecessary. It's not what you are designed to do. You you have done something unknowingly to disrupt your hormones. And now your body is giving you this biofeedback of PMS so that you can respond and course correct. The problem is you haven't, well, (laughs) we've been taught to ignore those pieces of biofeedback, right? And I I want to just point, drive, drive this home a little bit more in the sense that, you know, the four vital signs, right? When you go to the emergency room, they'll like take your blood pressure and your temperature, right? Let's just focus Mm -hmm. on those two. And you know that if you had an elevated temperature, right? you would be all over that. You would take some sort of fever reducer, potentially, you would make the chicken soup, you would hydrate, you would rest, right? You would yep. get into immediate react, immediate action based on that biofeedback that your body is giving you of the temperature. Well, in 2015, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists decreed that your period is your fifth vital sign, right? Along really? the, alongside the other four that they take in the emergency room. So what that means to you is that when you have biofeedback from your period, like you're having, Cameron, right, with painful Mm -hmm. breasts and pain during ovulation or significant PMS or cramps during the start of your bleed, those are three separate pieces of biofeedback that mean different things. We can go into it, but you need to get into immediate action to try to resolve them and help your body out because it's in crisis, like having a fever is a crisis for the body, right? So you want to help it heal. The problem is you've been conditioned to ignore it and then you ignore it month after month, year after year. And the problem, the, the, the origin of that problem that causes the PMS gets worse and worse. And now you have a snowball effect of all of a sudden you have a fibroid and you think, where did that come from? Well, that Mm -hmm. came from potentially your unresolved PMS or even things before that. And it just keeps going and going. And so I want women to understand that if you remember nothing else from today's talk is if you (laughs) have a symptom, you want to treat it like you have a fever and get all on top of it ASAP. So I need to get my shit together, basically. Well, and what what, <laughs> well everybody no, does, true. you know. But I mean, when it comes to our health as women, we have been we have been placed so far behind the eight ball uh, right. because we've been deprived of an education, deprived of accurate information. I mean, let's let's just unpack the myth, the current you know cultural narrative and mythology. Oh, periods are supposed to be painful; they're the curse. Cramps mm-hmm. are normal. PMS is part of the deal. Whatever problems you have with your period can never be resolved. You've likely inherited them, and it's just the curse passed down from gen. I mean, if you listen to these, really, it sounds like a fairy tale, right? A bad one, yeah. right? It's yeah, not yeah. actually predicated on any science because the science says quite the opposite. For example, let's just take cramps. If nature designed you, now I'm getting mad, right? So if nature designed you to <laughs> to be in pain, right? Then you would have, so you have three, three prostaglandins that regulate um, uterine activity, right? So you're at, the activity of the uterus, are, there's two of them. There's contraction and relaxation, right? It's like any muscle mm-hmm. contracts and, and relaxes, right? So you have three prostaglandins that control that. And PGE one, two, and three. If nature designed you to be in pain, you'd have twice as many that controlled uterine contraction, and you'd have only one that would control uterine relaxation. Right? Makes sense. Logical. Right. It's the opposite. Nature has you 
have two of the prostaglandins, PGE1 and 3, that control uterine relaxation. And you only have one little prostaglandin, number two, that controls uterine contraction. If you eat the wrong fats, you will increase the production of PGE2 and suppress the production of PGE1 and 3, and you will have cramps. Got it. If you change the types of fats that you're eating, and of course, they're going to be like replacing all those bad, synthetic, toxic, highly processed Mm -hmm. fats with real healthy fats, problem solved within a cycle or two. I'm going to make myself a case study, and I'm sure everyone says this after they talk to you or read it, but like honestly... I'm so a fed up because I really can't sleep with these cramps. Like I, I'm up until three in the morning and then I'm debilitated that first day. Also, I do get a spell of depression right before I bleed. And even what you were saying when it comes to like creativity and I'm sure how I'm supposed to be aligning my workflow, like there is such a difference I can tell with how interested I am in work, how creative I am, how productive I am based on where I am. So I want to, try to unpack. Obviously, everyone should be reading your book that has all of this information, which I'm going to use as my Bible for the next three months and really like hammer down on all of this because I've been trying just Well, and I love out. that you say you want to make a case study out of yourself. That's great because what I want everybody <laughs> to do is to, to be the subject of your own research. And, right. and, and I mean that because you're being left out of research Mm-hmm. So you have to do, you have to become a citizen scientist, right? This method, the cycle thinking method, you can learn about it in, at, in the book, in the flow, you can download the my flow tracker. And remember, it's the icon is a circle, not a feather. Um, and uh, you will learn about which phase you're in, what your symptoms are, what they mean, like the app will tell you, if you're having pain during ovulation, it'll tell you why. Because right. you should know why and then what you could do about that. And it will give you so much education in real time about whatever is specifically happening for you that, you know, you can learn in real time as opposed to feeling overwhelmed and inundated with information and just take what you need and start to really connect the dots. Like, oh, if I drink three cups of coffee in my luteal phase, I can't sleep. So mm-hmm. the problem is not that you're in your luteal phase. The problem is the three cups of coffee, right? And then you can got kind of start going deeper and really starting to apply all the recommendations and the methodology and start to see for yourself how your body is different. There is a before mm-hmm. and after that is important for you to experience directly so you can reclaim uh, you know, your own leadership when it comes to your health care. Definitely. And I want to unpack two things specifically. One that you touched on a little while ago, but when we were talking about research solely being focused on the males and that's where all of the research is being done, but also like that's the media that we're being fed as if it correlates and is appropriate for females. One thing you mentioned was intermittent fasting. And it's something that a lot of people ask me about. I think it's kind of died down as like the top hot topic, but it was for a long time and it's still. Well, yeah, because it got so much airplay on the media. Like as this is studies are out. Everyone. The studies are conclusive. This is the golden standard. This is what's going to give you longevity, protect your brain protect your heart, help you lose weight. It is the new, it was like, you know, but nowhere, not once did I see any, 
any journalistic, um, you know, disclosure being made that, oh, hey, by the way, <laughs> you know, all of these studies were done on men and postmenopausal women. And the little bit of research that we have on women in their reproductive years is that this is contraindicated, meaning if you are in your reproductive years, do not do this intermittent fasting the right. way it's being described because it will do the opposite of what it will do for men and postmenopausal women. And inclusive could also shrink your ovaries, which is not ideal in your reproductive years when you're trying to be fertile. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that something- was never discussed. Right. And that would have been such an easy thing to have just just added into the articles or the news clips. But we were just overlooked, not thought about. Totally. Yeah. And it's something I did for a while because it started with my digestive health issues. And I do believe, I know that there's research on this and focused on females, but, you know, allowing your micromortal complex to rest. But that's like 12 hours, which you're doing normally without even noticing. You know, if you finish dinner by seven and you eat breakfast by seven, then you're you're doing that. It's not intermittent fasting. It's called like sleeping and waking up. Um, well, that's but- the that's the only intermittent fasting that I recommend. I do recommend that in the book that you do a twelve hour fast between dinner right. and breakfast. But once you cross over that twelve hour mark, then you're now reaping all the negative effects, um, and you can't do that. But once you're postmenopausal, you can intermittent fast till the cows come home. You know, go for it because it <laughs> will confer all those wonderful benefits. But you have to wait for one year after your last bleed and then go nuts. Because I noticed when I was doing it, and I was doing it more extensively, I was probably at like 14, 16 hours. I mean, I tried to convince myself that it was helping. But when I look back, I'm like, oh, that was a red flag. That was a red flag. That yeah. was a red flag. Um, so I do want to make- Do you see how deeply conditioned you are to ignore your body's cries for help? Oh, as a woman? so, conditioned. And, so and, conditioned. and like, I want to just dive into that too, because that's- part of the problem that we have to undo. And the only way to undo that is to get familiar with ourselves. And the only way to get familiar with yourselves is to get to like start tracking things. That's what's so helpful about the MyFlow app is you're going to really start to get to know like, oh, this is what I'm feeling. This is normal. This is not normal. I didn't know that. I Now I feel like more confident to, to, to trust that inner voice that's saying a red flag. Um, and men are not given that same conditioning. They're told to pay attention when something doesn't feel right, you know, say, speak up about it and it's taken seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that reinforces their positive relationship with their body because you have the opposite conditioning and education. It reinforces a negative relationship with your body, which is a whole other thing we could spend seven hours talking about, (laughs) but the fact that all women, um, have that, um, you know, psychological wound of like not being in a positive relationship with your body to be distrustful of it, to be upset about it, to feel like you're in a constant battle with it. That is, um, you know, that's been done to you, but it's not, it's not something that you should feel because you should feel that in fact, your body is your, you know, you're like in a partnership and it's helping you, helping you get where you want to go faster, better if you guys work together. Mm -hmm. Um, You should be on the same team. 
Yes, absolutely. And, you know, similarly to intermittent fasting, I feel like high intensity workouts was thrown at us. Like, you know, think of just the years of all of the new pop-up boutique fitness studios in Manhattan. Everything was high intensity and treadmills or cardio based. And I know that was my life for the first four years after college. And it was all I knew. And I mean, I wore myself down to like the, like I really went hard and went fast and quickly, quickly, quickly dwindled. And recently, you know, I've experimented a lot with different types of workouts and figured out what works for me. And I never once thought, oh, I should be kind of paying attention to where I am in my cycle and you know, help that dictate what workouts I'm doing. And I even texted a few of my girlfriends that I was going to start paying attention to that. And my one friend was like, well, I ran track in high school and my um, coach always said that we ran our best and furthest and fastest when we were bleeding. And I was like, I don't think that's right. That's actually, see, that's what, and that was a male coach probably. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it's not true. In fact, there's so much research about this. The U.S. women's soccer team trains their female athletes based on their infradian rhythm because it is um, a powerful biological force in your body that you have to acknowledge. Like, for example, would you try to wake up at two in the morning and go run five miles? No, hell no. No, you would think that that would be ridiculous, right? Laughable. Mm -hmm. What a silly thing to do. Well, you're doing the equivalent of that if you believe that you should be able to do the same intensity of workouts each and every day throughout the month. It's the equivalent of waking up at two in the morning and going for a five-mile run. That really puts things in perspective, to be totally honest. Yeah. And for the people listening, and also just to make sure I'm, I personally am doing this correctly because I'm selfishly asking, can you explain within the four yeah. cycles what, to do what when? types of work? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to explain what to do when, but I'm also going to teach you why, because okay. I don't know about you, Cameron, but I don't do anything unless I have a good reason to do no, it. No, I agree. <laughs> Otherwise I'm like, no, I trust myself. You know, I'm not like, mm, yummy. Let me eat some broccoli. I'm like, oh, let me eat some broccoli to flush out my estrogen. Like, honestly, that's how I think. <laughs> so I'm going to just <laughs> pretend like that maybe will help be motivational for you. <laughs> Yes, it will. So the why is important. Okay. So you have these four phases. In the first half of your cycle, the follicular and ovulatory, your metabolism is slower and your resting cortisol levels are lower. And what this means is you should and can eat fewer calories, right? Whatever is appropriate for your BMI. Mm-hmm. And you should and can do cardio and high-intensity interval training. And the combination of the slower metabolism, lower resting cortisol, fewer calories, and higher-intensity workouts result in optimizing your metabolic response, meaning you will gain more lean muscle and use more stored fat as fuel, which is good because then you'll burn whatever stored Mm -hmm. fat you have. Then once you cross over ovulation and you're now in the second half of your cycle, the luteal and the menstrual phases, your metabolism speeds up, your resting cortisol levels are higher, you must and should eat 279 more calories than you were eating the week before for your BMI, 
And you must not do high-intensity interval training because if you do the high-intensity interval training, you're going to turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting. So -hmm. what you want to do are exercises like Pilates or holding planks or squatting up against a wall till you fall down, like things that are just uh, non-cardio, right? But all deep strength training, lift a whole bunch of heavy weights, go for walks, that kind of thing. Yoga, Pilates, that kind of stuff. And eat, the, and eat more c- calories, but the right kind of calories that are uh, slow-burning, sustainable carbohydrates, proteins, fats, lots of cooked fiber in the form of leafy greens and legumes. All of this is going to help you um, really optimize your metabolic response in the second half of your cycle. If you ignore what is actually taking place in your body, metabolically speaking, right, what will happen is at the end of the month, you're going to increase your fatigue, put strain on the adrenals, which is why you felt like after a couple of years, you burnt out mm-hmm. deeply that you were creating adrenal, adrenal stress. Fatigue. Yeah. That yeah. came from doing the same workouts every day at very high intensities and probably de- keeping the same caloric load every day despite oh, your metabolic shift. And then... What will happen after that is you're going to start to disrupt your cycle. You're going to have issues with regular ovulation. You're going to have issues with your period. And you then at the end of the month might at the first few months just have no delta, so to speak, no change in your stored fat, if that's something that you're trying to to lighten up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then what will quickly happen after is you're going to put weight on. So at the end of every month, instead of losing weight, despite being so dedicated to quote unquote, just doing it every day, I really hate that slogan um, because it's just like, it just says, just do it. It it implies like stay committed every day to the same thing. Well, how about just do it, but let's do it differently (laughs) or just do it depending, (laughs) you know, like something to acknowledge the fact that um, for women, it really depends on when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, right? So mm-hmm. at, the end of, at the end of several months, which I've seen time and time again with women who train for triathlons or whatever, or just do the same kind of working out all the time, they're committed to a, a gym or something or workouts of the day is that they put fat on. Yeah. And they feel completely angry, frustrated, and lost and confused because how could this be? They're being told that women are just smaller versions of men with slower metabolism. So if, so the theory is not that this has been researched at all, uh, assuming that we're smaller versions of men, we should just simply restrict calories more and continue to work out with high intensities every day. And we should hopefully in big air quotes, get the same results as men. But it is the opposite that happens. And so much more of our health breaks down as a result of disrupting this infradian rhythm. And it's just time to like leave that nonsense in the past and move forward into a healthy new future and a healthy new relationship with your body based on your actual biology. Well, you have me sold, and I well, think everyone listening is sold. <laughs> and I just, well, I mean, so, we, can, we should all stand on the truth, right? That's a good place yes. to stand on, yes. And I'm so curious, how did you get involved in all of this? Like, what led you to be so interested in this topic? In this topic or the topic of women's health as a well, whole? Well, I guess women's health as a whole, but specifically this topic. I mean, that's, that's like the story. It's my life story in a sense, you know, I mean, from the first time I heard about menstruation in sixth grade, I was awestruck. And then I quickly noticed 
the my girlfriends in the room like were horrified and I thought how could we be having two such profoundly different reactions to the same information (laughs) um which I you know pocketed away for later um I mean my own personal experience of dealing with PCOS and how uh challenging that was how unsupported I was um how conventional medicine um, has nothing still to really uh, deeply fix what is off with women. Um, it all just led me to a growing passion for, um, you know, really being an advocate for women's healthcare. Um, because, especially in my own experience, really seeing the gap in conventional women's health care, like you go to the doctor, you may get a diagnosis, which is great. It may take you seven to 10 years to get the diagnosis, mind you, when it comes to period mm-hmm. issues and anybody with endometriosis or PCOS will be nodding their heads right now. Um, yeah. But at least you have a diagnosis. But then after that, aside from taking the pill or watch and wait, there isn't much else. And right. I fundamentally feel like here we are in the 21st century, we are sending like new space people to, you know, the moon and beyond We're you know, we're five Ging we're you know, doing laparoscopic fetal heart surgery, we're, we're, we're able to do such extraordinary technologically advanced things in every field of science. It seems conspicuously overlooked that women's healthcare has not really made that much progress and that so many of us are left to suffer month over month, year over year without support. And so I'm really proud to have built the first, you know, hormonal healthcare global company for women that's completely virtual where you can access this from anywhere your ovaries happen to be near your computer <laughs> and you can get the education the online support, the one-on-one sessions, the the products, everything to just really hold your hand and take you from this place of hormonal chaos and get you back into hormonal flow because it is needed because of the gap in healthcare, because of the sort of gender bias in the research, and also because it's just, we deserve it. We deserve to get that support. And and it's, it's kind of also, in a sense... Um, a little bit of a feminist thing to have, like we should have the healthcare that we need, right? Just like it's a right to have access to birth control, right? We should have a right to have a company like Flow Living for everything that's between our our annual gynecological visits, you know, and I, and I'm really proud that we have built that and that exists because it's, it's, like I said, it's just time and it's needed. It's totally time. It's definitely needed. I'm so grateful for you for creating it. And I'm curious, what is your favorite characteristic about yourself? Because oh, me? You just, <laughs> yeah, you just listed incredible things that you've done. And I'm curious what you would say your favorite char- characteristic about yourself is. Ah, oh, let's see. I have never been asked that question before, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do I like about myself? Um... So many things, Cameron, so many things. Good. Uh, I love hearing that. <laughs> I don't know. I guess in, in uh, what do I, I guess I love uh, or a characteristic that is uh, something I appreciate is that I deeply care 
about the things that I care about. And then I am committed in an like undeterrable, undogged fashion to go and, and help. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's been sort of something that's served me very well over the past 20 years, because you can imagine how not easy it has been to, to try to create something like this in a culture that, you know, just everywhere says, you know, it's all in your head or you shouldn't take your period seriously. It's part of the normal deal to really um, go against the cultural narrative and say, no, actually the research says otherwise, the science says otherwise. And to build the things that actually are things that women can use um, without, you know, fancy pants uh, investors and to just do it. Um, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm really appreciative of the fact that I have this, um, passion and commitment and determination to, to do stuff like that. I mean, it very much shows in your work. So I'm appreciative as a consumer of that said characteristic and then work that came from it. So thank you from myself and everyone listening who I'm sure is benefiting from this conversation. And then to close out, I do bring it a little bit to food, and I'm curious if your answers are also going to sync up with potential your cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the three ways to your heart through food? Mm. Yeah, well, definitely feed me the right things based on where <laughs> I'm in my cycle. <laughs> you know, ask me for. It's funny, like if I I would say now when when my husband first asked me out on a date, he impressed me because he read my bio and he said, listen, I can see you must have specific food requirements. So I booked reservations at three different restaurants. Here are the menus. Can you tell me which one? Yeah, we totally, yeah, totally like brownie points from before the first date. Now, especially because I've done so much work to put this information out into the world and we have so many app users who use the partner sync feature. Now I think it would be so awesome if I were dating again, which I am so glad I'm with my husband and I don't have to deal with that. But like, if I had to do that, it would be awesome if he said, hey, which phase of the cycle are you in so I can pick the right restaurant to right. book? I mean, that'd be that, would be, that would be super um, sexy to me. <laughs> Big turn on. I've been to all these episodes. So Joe, I hope you're listening. <laughs> Yeah, just put him put his email in the partner sync and he'll know. I, I have done that work for you. That's why that feature exists. You are very welcome. Um, so that's the sort of the first way to my heart. Um, second way, chocolate, mm-hmm. organic dark chocolate in any shape or form over fruit, over dried orange rind, like, (laughs) you know, love that. And then uh, tea, Uh, like I have to, I cannot function without my dandelion tea every day. So, but I I also collect um, lots of different herbal teas um, because I I love drinking hot tea constantly. Um, So yeah, tea, chocolate and the right food at the right time. It's going to, that's a winning combination. I love all of those things. So for everyone listening, I mean, all of this information in your books, everything will be in the show notes, but where is the best place for people to follow you? Um, If you need help with your period or your hormones or your fertility or anything that's going on, please come to flowliving.com. I have built this for you so you don't have to reinvent the wheel or try to figure it out on your own. 
We have programs, supplements, and one-on-one coaching to help you get out of chaos hormonally very quickly. If you are excited about the Infradian Rhythm and you're ready to buy the book, you can do that wherever books are sold online these days, but you should definitely bring your receipt to this website, intheflowbook.com, and then you'll get a huge amount of amazing downloads that are going to help you start to synchronize with your Infradian Rhythm and your cycle right away while you're waiting for the book to ship. Um, If you are interested in the app, you can go to myflowtracker.com and you can follow me on social at flowliving and at alisa.vd. Amazing. Everything will be in the show notes, guys. Don't worry. You can just click away in the description. Thank you so much, Alisa, for joining us. This has been so helpful, so educational, so informative. I really think everyone will benefit from this conversation and I'm so grateful for the work you're doing. Thank you for having me. This was such a fun conversation. Of course. Have a great day, everyone. Hey, peeps. It's me. Welcome to the new ending of how we're going to do shows around here. So I think with season three, I'm going to end each episode with a little segment of just me chatting with you guys. Sometimes I record these episodes, I mean, at least two weeks, sometimes three to four or five weeks ahead of release date. And I just feel like there are sometimes life updates that I want to talk to you about. And also, this was a highly requested aspect of the show when I asked you all for feedback. And of course, I'm taking note from my hero, Dak Shepard, because I know that I really love the interviews, sure, but I kind of skip and wait to get to the fact check because I just want to hear him talk with Monica, of course. Um, So here we are. So I have no idea what this is really going to look like. I think I'm just going to talk through some things, ramble on a bit, Maybe talk about anything that's relevant to the episode that you just listened to. And then I'm going to answer some listener questions. So I guess let's kick this off of like what's happening in my life. It is Wednesday as I'm recording this before release date. I'm currently in the city for the day. I just spent a god awful 50 minutes trying to find a freaking parking spot and remembered why I hate certain aspects of the city, but I do miss others. I still love it. We will return eventually. Um, Summer is over. This summer was so different than others, like insanely different. I think we all feel that way. Summers for me are usually packed with tons of friends, beach weekends, family, big time, tons of weddings. I mean, we had 12 weddings this year and obviously none of them are really happening. Um, But it was kind of weirdly nice because for me, who's always... I don't know, I do this double thing where I make so many plans, but then I hate how I'm always busy, yet I continue to make all the plans to other people do that. I feel like they must. Um, And summer is usually an absolute whirlwind for me. And to be totally frank, I normally do not have a free weekend from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And that sounds insane to say and so typical. New Yorkers love to brag about how busy they are, but it's just reality. Um, And so this summer was a bit of a nice change up in that sense where I really miss all the things that we normally do and I wish that they could have happened but I tried to see the positive side I guess and like focus on what it brought me and that meant more time with my immediate family um, more time with just Joe and I which is something that rarely happens to be honest at the end of the summer I usually feel a bit disconnected from him because I feel like we never have alone time and we've had a lot of that over the past three months and I feel closer to him than I have honestly ever 
in a way. I don't know. We I feel really just so madly in love with that boy right now. Um, and it allowed me to really take gratitude in this small shit, whether it was watching the sunset or just going for a morning stroll on the beach with Charlie or an ocean dip in the afternoon. I don't know. I feel a very, very large sense of gratitude for things. Whoa, voice crack. I'm not crying. Um, I feel very large gratitude for the small things that I overlooked. And I think that that's one positive that I am taking out of 2020 because it fucking sucks. This year sucks. COVID sucks. I'm not going to act like it doesn't. I hate the whole like, what if this year isn't canceled? Bullshit. I don't know. I really don't like that. Um, But I also think that we can try to find positives in shitty situations. And I guess that's what I'm doing. Um, what else is going on? I feel like I had something else to update you all on, but I can't remember. And now I'm singing like Heather McMahon because I love her podcast so freaking much. I think she's the funniest person in the world. Um, all right. Well, another thing that I haven't talked about in my Instagram stories is in regards to this episode. So Joe and I had always said that we would like to try to start to have a family around the fall of 2020. And here we are. So that is why I went off my amitriptyline for everyone that's wondering. And I always said that if I struggled with any of this, I would openly share it on my platform because I feel like women are so afraid to talk about this and there's so much shame for some stupid reason built into it all. And then when we keep it a secret, it feels even more shameful and it's just so messed up in my opinion. So we decided to get ahead of things by just getting a few things tested. Given my medical background and history, I've always had a big fear that this would not be easy for me and that something would go wrong. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but that's just how I've always thought. I also am ecstatic to be pregnant. And that's a weird thing. I think a lot of my friends think I'm crazy. So I've always been nervous that because I'm so excited to be physically pregnant, it would be hard. I have no idea. I'm just now talking in circles. But basically, we did a blood test on myself and my doctor went to check a few things. And the first test came back with a low AMH. So I don't know if this really is of interest to anyone, but I'm sharing it anyway. AMH is anti-molarian. I have no idea how to say that. Hormone, which where's the definition I was just going to say? God damn it. Basically, I think and I wish now I had a more specific thing to tell you guys what it actually is. Um, But it's supposed to be like one of the tests to show how fertile you are. And I guess count your, like your egg count. So I'm learning a ton of stuff. The fact that we're like born with a set number of eggs. Are you kidding? That's frightening. No wonder people talk about having a clock. It's really real. Um, And Okay, what exactly are AMH levels? Here we go. It's a laboratory test that OBGYN and fertility doctors may use to assess a woman's ovarian reserve or egg count. So kind of what I told you. Um, and I guess it's supposed to be, if if it's between one and four, supposedly, you're deemed fertile. And if it's below one, I'm never going to say infertile, but I guess that you should pay attention to it. And mine was like a point. situation and my doctor expected it to be in the high twos low threes at my age so they decided they wanted to do the test again they did the test again it was the same number and my OBGYN sent me to a fertility specialist to have a conversation about it 
Did it freak me out? Yes, of course it did. Um, uh, you guys know that a lot of my anxiety is instilled in health and feeling like I'm broken. And this was just another thing that was like, oh, of course, something isn't working in my body. And when I spoke with a fertility specialist, she really jumped the gun and told me I needed to do IVF. And that Joe and I, in order to be comfortable with the concept of having multiple children and the level that I'm at right now should do IVF. And I took it when she said it, fine. I was like very factual. I was on the phone. Okay, fine. And then of course I lost my shit. I went upstairs and started hysterically crying to Joe. I recorded a video of myself because I didn't know what this was going to lead to. And I just wanted it in case I was ever going to share like a journey of this situation. Oh my God. First of all, my motherfucking eyebrow is doing its own dance. I will screenshot it and show it to you guys. It's insane. And I'm hysterically crying and look like I need help, which I always need help. We all need help. Um, So Joe and I had kind of, I mean, I was very much like, okay, I guess we're doing IVF. Like, this is what we're doing. If if we have to do it, this is what we're doing. But I also decided that I wanted to get a second opinion because especially with something this intense, I feel like it's definitely worthy. And I did get a second opinion. I'm very grateful I did. The doctor I spoke with um, thinks that IVF is not necessary right now. And so in two weeks or whenever I menstruate next um getting a few more tests and an ultrasound and we're going to look at a few things and then assess from there so who knows IVF very much could still be in the cards for me it very well could not be I honestly have no freaking idea I'm sharing this with you all in very much real live time because I feel it should be talked about more and I respect the people who talk about it and I respect even more the people who are talking about it in live time because for me, I feel like I see all these people talk about topics that I'm struggling with and they have it figured out and they're reflecting back. And I'm like, well, where are the people that are currently struggling? Because now I feel alone because everyone has it figured out. So that's what's going on in my life. And it's been emotional to say the least. I mean, my biggest fear is that I will not be able to get pregnant. And uh, yeah, that just really freaking scared me. So that's the update. I guess I'm going to continue to keep you guys posted as much as I feel comfortable sharing. This is obviously a topic that includes more people than just myself. Joe is heavily involved in this as it is our potential child. Um, but I really want to share as much as I can. I just hope that everyone listening will respect my boundaries as well and remember that I am a human. Also, in terms of this episode, I've been sharing it on my stories, but I have been doing my workout cycle syncing and I feel great. I have a lot more energy when I'm running and doing hit and heavy lifting during the first two phases of my cycle. And then when it's time for shit, I can't remember what the name of it is, but the second, the third one and menstruation, I'm doing way more like, Pilates, yoga, long walks, and I feel great. So I'm going to keep it up. I've also been ravenous in the morning and I used to be like, oh, I shouldn't eat breakfast this early. Fuck that. I'm hungry. I'm eating breakfast. And I'm happy that Elisa confirmed that we shouldn't be practicing intermittent fasting as females. All right, guys, now I'm going to answer some of the listener questions just so everyone's aware. Every Tuesday on the FF and Friends pod Instagram, there will be a question box for you guys to submit 
questions that I will cover on that Friday's episode. I'm going to pick like one to three, I guess. I don't really know. So let me pick, I guess, what I'm going to answer. Okay, what is your favorite hobby at the moment? I talk about how important hobbies are a lot because for me, Freckled Foodie was always a hobby. And when I was working full time, it was such a great escape. I had so much fun with it. And then it became my job. And I love it. Of course I do. But there's certain times where I hate it because it's work. And we don't always love work 24-7. That's a false reality to sell to people. I'm sorry. I think it's bullshit. So I realized recently that I need a hobby because I need something to do that is not focused with work. And even cooking for me, as much as I love it, every time I'm cooking something in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I should be writing this recipe. I should be photographing this. And it's not fun for me then. So my current hobbies, one, reading. I am obsessed with reading. I've read, I think like 50 to 60 books since March. I cannot get enough of YA romance novels. I love them. So there's a full list. I'll put it in the show notes of the books I've read. I need to be better at updating it. I'm sorry, but I can't get enough. I really just love reading. And right now I am obsessed with, I just finished The Wedding Date by Jasmine Gilroy. I read it in one and a half days. It was amazing. And I found out, thanks to all of you guys, that it's a part of a series. So right now I'm reading the proposal and I'm so excited for the rest of that series to come. My other hobby has been tennis. I never play tennis. I mean, I played it like at camp, maybe every once in a while growing up, but I was never good. And I never played later in life because I was so bad. And I hate playing sports that I'm bad at because I'm competitive and it makes me really freaking angry. So I never played. And then I decided that this would be a fun sport for me to get good at and play later in life. So I've taken a few lessons this summer. I think it is so fun. I'm still not great. I'm improving, but I'm loving it right now. And that is a big hobby for me. Okay, the other question I will answer is, okay, well, I'll do a quick one. What is Joe's job? He does consulting for private equity firms um, in like the healthcare and insurance space. And then last question, how to stay motivated while working from home? I feel like I can't stop procrastinating. It is hard. When I first started working from home, I left the most structured job in the entire world and then was like, well, now what the hell am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to figure out what to do? Especially working for yourself. It's really hard to delegate tasks. I loved having a boss to tell me what to do. Um, I would say try to set up a space in your home if it's possible that is a designated like workspace. I don't have this in our apartment. We did end up getting a dining room table, which I'm grateful for. And that was kind of my office, but also obviously it was where we ate meals. But that was the place where I worked all day from. And if you're working in your bed, get out of your freaking bed. That will never work. Ever, 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 ever get out of the bed. Um, So for me, it's setting up some type of morning routine that like designates, okay, now I'm working. And people say like get dressed for the day. I get dressed, but I get dressed in comfy clothes, like a sweat set or biker shorts and a t-shirt, obviously. But I still, like in the morning, will sit down, like do a few things, journal, whatever, have my coffee. Usually I'll work out, have breakfast. And then I will shower, like do my morning skincare and change into an outfit. And that is when I'm like, okay, my day is starting. Then I go to my designated workspace And that is where I'm avoiding things that are menial house tasks that should not be done during that time. If I have free time, fine, but I shouldn't be doing like 
the dishes or laundry or any of those things over the work that needs to get done in that moment. And then the third thing is I kind of try, well, I guess I have three and four points. Um, Third point is trying to time block. I think it's really helpful to be like, I'm going to work on this task for the next hour. Then I'll give myself 10 minutes to answer texts or scroll on social media or whatever, instead of trying to do everything at once because then nothing actually ever gets done. And then my fourth and final point is that I will make a long ass to-do list for the week and then pull from that every day and write down the specific tasks that need to get done that day that are feasible to do. Like I hate looking at a massive to-do list because then I feel like I there's so much to do, I don't even know where to begin. So each morning I pull from the master list and think what needs to get done today deadline wise and what do I have time for? And then I accomplish those things, hopefully. And if I get fit through them, maybe I will look back at the master list or I will be better about setting boundaries and I will step away from work, which is not great. Also, I'm going to plug the Beam Focus product. It's freaking awesome. I love it. I was never, I honestly haven't been so productive as I was yesterday when I took it. I said that on my stories. I mean it. You can use code FRACKLEDFOODIE15 to get 15% off of your order online. Um, well, it was great catching up with all of you guys. I really have been lately missing our events and just wishing that we were in a time in our lives where we could all gather together, have a few drinks, turn on Taylor Swift, Betty, and just hug each other and sing and laugh and get to know one another. But that day will come, hopefully sooner rather than later. I hope you guys have a great week and or weekend it's friday oh shit i also i just realized today's episode is releasing on september 11th i want to send my love to anyone who lost a loved one during this time whether they worked at the world trade center they were on the plane they were a first responder whoever it is i'm sending you tons of love specific shout out to my king family you guys know i love you to the man who was like a second father to me, rest in peace. I know you're having a great day up there with lots of golf and cigars and having fun. And my dad is sending all of his love. Um, So I'm thinking of all of you, especially New Yorkers. I cannot fathom what it was like to be here on this day. I think about it. I mean, it's ingrained in my brain what happened and my experience, but I'm sending everyone love today. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you enjoyed this new ending of the show. Let me know your feedback. Screenshot, share the episode on your Instagram stories. Tag Freckled Foodie and FFN Friends Pod so I can reshare it with everyone. And as always, please rate and or review. Show me some love. I so appreciate it. I love you all. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and friends pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.